Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am on a mission to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. And I hope by sharing this with you, it inspires you to grow your own food as well. Now coming up in today's episode, blight has made itself apparent in my tomatoes. But we've also got an update from the allotment and Chef Scott is back. But first... Let's find out what's been going on in the garden. Now this week we've got a mix of stories to share with you from the garden. I'm going to start off with some sad news and that is about my chicken Hawkins. Well up until Wednesday she was perfectly fine, she was laying eggs, no problems at all. She's always been a little bit timid we've noticed. She still laid eggs and everything and everything was going fine. However on Wednesday my wife was working indoors and she heard a commotion from the chickens. They sounded like they were squawking away and sounded panicked. And my chickens are kept inside a large igloo run to protect them from predators, of course, and also from our dog, Roxy. But my wife looked out the window and she spotted a bird of prey near the run. And it looked like the bird of prey was trying to get to the chickens. So my wife ran out there and the, well with Roxy as well scared the bird of prey off which we later identified as being a sparrowhawk now it's not unusual to get bird of preys in our garden I sometimes see a, a falcon or a sparrowhawk in our garden not every day but every few months we get to see some I always think they are amazing birds but I always worry about them with my chickens which is why they are kept inside the run well on the Thursday morning, we opened up the chickens and Hawkins didn't come out from the house. I looked in and she was looking rather sad and rather sorry for herself. So we weren't sure what was going on. And unfortunately, later that day, she did pass away. So we actually believe the Sparrowhawk somehow attacked her, caused her distress, possibly even injury. And uh, but at the same time, it just goes to show how delicate these birds are. Now on a brighter note I have been tending to our young Swiss chard and kale plants basically moving them on into larger pots to give them room to grow before they get transplanted outside in their permanent positions. I always think that particularly the kale that because they need to grow throughout the winter they need to be strong before they grow in and if we plant them out straight away they may have to battle with things like slugs and snails which this year does seem to be a bit more of a problem. We have actually planted out a coral arabi into a final spot in our soil where hopefully they're going to grow on and become those ugly but delicious plants. Now I did mention slugs and snails and one thing that I've noticed this year we haven't seen is our resident hedgehogs. They used to live underneath our shed but I've not seen them this year until the other day. First of all my neighbour actually mentioned that she's seen the hedgehogs living underneath her shed. This night I, I saw them, I heard this sort of grunting and I grabbed a torch to see what was going on and there was three hedgehogs running around our garden. Now, this is great. It's an encouraging sign. And what I think has happened is they've moved to our next door's shed. But because when we had our fence erected, we made sure there was a gap at the bottom for hedgehogs to come and go and give them a larger area to explore. And that seems to be paying off. 
that way everyone gets the benefits of the hedgehogs. Added to that, of course, the hedgehogs are going to be helping reduce that slug and snail population. So I'm very, very happy to see them, to say the least. Now, I've also been thinking about what we're going to be changing in the garden, how we're going to be making the garden a bit more efficient, something I was talking about. And there's an area at the very top of our garden where I would stash our logs for our winter heating. And what I've decided to do I'm clearing away all those logs and so that I can repurpose this space to accommodate water butts for this upcoming winter. As you know, I've got several water butts that are scattered around the garden. I'm going to get those all into one place and try and get it so that they are fed for it when it rains rather than me having to pump water around. Just to be that little bit more efficient, but also so we can try and store a lot more water. Now moving all the wood that we did have here was quite a difficult task and now I've got all the wood empty and away from there what I've got to next do is cut down this buddleia tree which seems to have popped up and another tree which isn't edible from this area in order to free up the space and make it a little bit better for our water butts. Now of course I don't like cutting down trees I'll be honest with you but because they're not edible it's time for them to go and my edible trees will be taken up in their place. Now in this same area I still actually have my old chicken coop which I'm desperate to get rid of. It is in need of a lot of TLC but it's no use to me and if anybody does want it get in touch. You have to come and collect it. You may have to give it a bit of work but if you want a chicken coop it is yours. However, the true stars of the season has been our harvests, of course. We've got plenty of beans, tomatoes, cucumbers, cabbage, beetroot, carrots, salad leaves and aromatic herbs, all of which we've been harvesting over this last week. But amidst this abundance, a cloud of blight has cast its shadow and the tomatoes have particularly succumbed to this dreaded disease. And that's a topic we're going to delve into shortly. But first, let's catch up with what's going on in the Supporters Club. It's that time of the podcast where I'm going to ask you for a favour. If you are enjoying this podcast, then please leave us a review on your podcast provider. Leaving a review helps us get found by people who may also be interested in growing your own food. And that is the number one thing that I want to do, reach people who want to grow their own food. But if you are enjoying this podcast and want to help keep the podcast running, then please consider becoming a member of our supporters club. But just £5 a month, you get extra behind the scenes podcasts, as well as a collection of seeds sent to your door each month that you are a member. And low seeds can be sown that very month. Now this week we have been sowing our spring cabbage, a variety called Durham Early. These seeds will be grown throughout the winter to provide us with some early cabbages in the spring of 2024, which is absolutely brilliant and a good way of trying to make sure we feed ourselves all year round. So that is four out of the six seeds that I send out this month, and I usually try and send out six packs of seeds every month. To find out more and become a member, head to thevegetablepodcast.co.uk. Right, let's find out about blight. 
Now, I'm sure if you have been talking to any Grow Your Owner around this time of year, uh, one of the hot topics at the moment is blight. I'm seeing lots of people report it on Facebook or on Twitter. It is a huge problem. And the reason it's a huge problem is because it can wipe out our tomato crops and our potato crops. Now, what we're talking about here is late blight. And late blight is a devastating plant disease caused by fungi-like organisms. Very common around this time of year because the warm, wet weather that we experience around this time of year is the reason that these fungi spores are able to attack our plants. If we had dry, hot weather, we probably wouldn't have as many problems. But this year has been very wet, yet still very warm. And it's just created that ideal conditions for the blight spores to attack our plants. Now, late blight is also quite infamous for being responsible for the Irish potato famine, which, you know, that was devastating to many people in Ireland. And that just gives you an example of how serious and how long this blight has been around. Now, blight does come in different genetics which change each year. And that is sometimes the problem that we have is that we might use blight-resistant varieties that fight one type of blight, but we get a different type of blight the following year. A bit like flu, which is why we get flu jabs every year. So, what is the effects of blight? Well, blight often starts off with little black patches on the leaves or stems of our tomatoes or potatoes. And if left unchecked, it can spread right through the plant and basically the plant will wither and die. It affects the leaves, the stems, the fruits and the roots, including the potatoes. So if we spot it early enough, we can start to remove some of the stems in order to stop it spreading. But in the case of my tomatoes, I spotted it two, three days ago and it quickly wiped out all my tomatoes so we have no option but to remove all the plants this is really annoying but it's what we have to do now in the case of my tomato plants because my potatoes aren't affected it is just my tomato plants what i'm gonna be doing is removing all the plants and remove all the tomatoes at the same time now, each tomato is going to have to be inspected to make sure it has no blight on it. If the tomatoes are fully ripe, that's fine. We can still eat those. But if they are green, we're going to have to place them in a sunny windowsill or near some bananas in order to encourage them to ripen. And then we can still use us. But we've got to keep an eye that blight isn't on the tomatoes. So regular checking is definitely something we will have to do. As for the plants, we will be composting those plants. Now, I know a lot of people will say we need to burn the plants to stop the disease from spreading. But I've done a lot of research on this. First of all, the problem I have with burning the tomato plants is it is a green material. And therefore, if I was to burn them in my garden, that would pot up a lot of smelly white smoke which is not going to be very pleasing for my neighbours. So I don't think it's appropriate to burn it at home and we're not allowed to burn anything on the allotment. So that leaves me with the uh, choice of composting it myself 
or sending it to the local amenities, the local tip for them to compost for me. However, I want to make as much compost material as possible. So really, I want to compost it myself. And I have done a lot of research into this. And I have discovered from people who are much more knowledgeable than me that actually the organism itself lives on live material. So if a plant is dead, it's not going to live in the compost. So that's fine. Now, I know there's going to be people that will say burn it and whatever you do is completely up to you. I'm going to be composting it and that's what I will do. Now, if this was our potatoes, same sort of thing. If the infection is bad, cut all the plants off. Leave the potatoes in the ground for a couple of weeks, but cut the foliage off and compost. That way, it just stops the blight from reaching the potatoes. Again, I haven't been affected by potatoes, but I'm keeping a close eye on them. Now, is there any treatment for blight? Unfortunately, years ago, we used to have a Bordeaux mix that we used to be able to use. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, that is now bad because it was not safe to use. There have been, I've seen some other alternatives, but I don't believe they're organic and I don't like the idea of spraying anything on my plants when I'm going to eat them anyway. So I avoid using sprays. My good friend Steve from Digwell Greenfingers YouTube channel, he's highly recommended using JBA Blight Guard, which is a spray. I've got no experience of using it myself, but he's highly recommended it. But it is a preventative measure. You spray it on before you get blight. Again, that's not something I personally want to do. I'm just putting that information out there. I avoid it because, as I said, I try not to spray anything on my plants anyway. Instead, what I should have done is two things. Firstly, because I wanted to use up a lot of my old seeds, I just sowed all the tomato seeds that I had in order to try and get rid of them. I didn't sow any of our blight-resistant varieties that I normally do. These would be things like Crimson Crush, Mountain Magic, just to name two. And for potatoes, it would be the Sarpo varieties, which I do actually grow, and they will be fine. So I'm not worried about those. But had have I done the Crimson Crush, the Mountain Magic, or the blight-resistant tomatoes, they would have still caught light, but they just shrug it off, I've noticed. However, people are saying and reporting that they are starting to lose some of their resistance to blight. The other thing that I should have done is when I planted my tomatoes out, you know how it is when the plant is small, you put it in the area that it needs to go and you think, yeah, that's enough space. In fact, you sometimes feel that you've given them too much space. Well, I should have measured it properly. I just done it by eye. And it turned out when they grew and added to the fact that we've had some strong winds which blew the plants together as well, basically they didn't get enough airflow around the plants. And therefore that led to the humidity and the moisture in the air staying around. Had have we given them a bit more room, we could have had some airflow flowing through and we wouldn't have caught blight. This is a reason that hanging baskets of tomatoes work so well, because they get plenty of airflow by being up a little bit higher, and that helps prevent blight. The other thing that I'm very lucky to have is several greenhouses, of course, and in the greenhouse, because the conditions aren't right, 
we seem to get away with blight as well. You don't get that warm, humid environment so much. So that's another reason I feel that a greenhouse is a great idea if you can get one. So these are all things that I am learning every year in how to avoid blight. And I've got to remember this for next year because I really don't want to get blight on my tomatoes or my potatoes next year. We've still done all right out of tomatoes. It's not the end of the world. We've still got plenty of tomatoes in the greenhouse and hanging baskets, as I said earlier. And hanging baskets for me are always a great addition in the garden anyway. I've just got to remember next year, don't put them in so close together. Now, if you've got any tips on how you avoid blight or anything that you want to add to what I've said, please do get in touch. Right, Scott is back this week with another recipe, so let's go find out what he's got for us. Hi, it's Scott here with this week's recipe, and this week we have an aubergine, chickpea and spinach curry. This budget-friendly curry is great served simply with rice and an arm bread for a midweek supper or as part of a selection of curries for a weekend treat. I also like to serve it with some tandoori lamb chops. It will easily serve four people and is easy to make. And so, to the recipe. You will need one large red onion, diced, about 250 grams, one tablespoon of garlic puree, one tablespoon of ginger puree, three aubergines, diced large, about 700 grams, six tomatoes, peeled and roughly chopped, about 700 grams, one tablespoon of coriander seeds, one tablespoon of cumin seeds, one teaspoon of fennel seeds, one teaspoon of mustard seeds, two cardamom pods, half a stick of cinnamon, two bay leaves, 80 grams of butter, two and a half tablespoons of curry powder, one tablespoon of garam masala, one teaspoon of Kashmiri chili powder, one chili sliced, 250 to 300 millilitres of water, 40 grams of fresh coriander, and two to three handfuls of baby leaf spinach. Method. We want to start by adding the butter to a saucepan followed by the onions and cook on a medium heat. You want to take time to make sure you cook the onions down until they are nice and golden brown. Whilst this is happening, toast the whole spices in a dry pan until they give off a fragrance and start to pop. Then give them a bash in a pestle and mortar. Then add them to the onions followed by the garlic, ginger and sliced chilli and cook out for a couple of minutes. Now add the curry powder, garam masala, bay leaves, chilli powder, chopped tomatoes and water and cover with a lid and cook on a medium to low heat for about 20 minutes. Whilst this is happening we need to salt the aubergines. Do this by sprinkling with a pinch of salt and let them sit for 15 minutes. Then, in a frying pan on a high heat, fry the aubergines until golden brown and set aside. Now remove the lid from the saucepan and turn the heat up a little and reduce the sauce until it thickens. Then add the aubergine and chickpeas and cook for a further 10 minutes. Then add the coriander and spinach and cook until the spinach has wilted. Finish with salt and pepper and that's this week's recipe done.
Well, it's good to have Scott back with his great recipe. I've got to say, I've tried this one as well. Absolutely delicious. Highly recommend you give it a try. So thank you, Scott, for that. If you do want to check out the recipe, it is on the website at thevegetablepodcast.co.uk and I've linked to it in the show notes for this episode. Now, I am down on the allotment for this week's allotment update. And first of all, I think the thing I should say is that down here on the allotment, we seem to have escaped blight. A few weeks ago, I did notice blight making an appearance on my tomatoes down here. But we took action then, and it doesn't seem to have spread. Here, we get much better ventilation. It's a lot more open which can be a hindrance in some ways, but for, in terms of blight, it seems to have done it the world of good. So very happy with that. Our indoor tomatoes, our greenhouse tomatoes, of course, they are producing fantastically well. And whenever I visit the allotment, that's the first place I go to. One, to prevent blight from entering the greenhouse, but two, so I can give it all a good water and harvest. Uh, and it's absolutely fantastic. We've got so many tomatoes from there, all delicious, all different colours and varieties, all look absolutely stunning. Now, added to that, the warm, wet weather has, of course, meant weeds and the grass have been growing like mad. So there's been a lot of weeding and cutting of the grass going on down here. Now, I view both of these as a way of collecting material, either for compost or mulch. So it's a necessity but it is an annoying job. I talk about this quite often. It's something that we keep trying to reduce the amount of weeding we have to do, but we have to do it. If there was only a way that we didn't have to do weeding, I would jump on it. But as I say, there isn't. Now, talking of compost, I have managed to continue spreading compost out into the beds that are nearly empty. We've got a couple of cabbages and cauliflowers left that once we've harvested, those beds will be completely empty and we will be able to complete spreading the compost around, ready for the garlics and onion to go in next month, towards the end of the next month. Cannot wait. I mean, the cabbages and cauliflowers are absolutely delicious and we've done really well with cabbages and cauliflowers. So, you know, it's, it's great to be able to get the food, but I can't wait to also get our, our next load of food into the ground as well. There are some empty spaces on these beds at the moment, which is a little bit annoying because in, it's too short to really pop them into use just yet. But never mind. We are looking forward to the garlic, onions, but making the most of the cabbages and cauliflowers that we have. Now at the very top of my allotment, as you know, I've got the area where we have a lot of our fruit bushes and I have my neighbours who have continued to tend to their plot over this last week. Very pleased to say that now I'm not getting so many weeds, which is making it a little bit easier for me to get into my top half of the plot. And what I've been continuing to do is, of course, remove any weeds and harvest any fruits, particularly the blackberries that we have up there. But I've also been mulching around these areas with our wood chip. We'll get wood chip delivered to the site. Nobody knows where it's coming from, but it gets delivered onto our allotment site. And I've been making the most of it by spreading it around the base of these plants. Now, in some areas, I am seeing that some of the grass is starting to grow through the wood chip. So I've, what I've got to do is get the hoe out and just run through the wood chip to keep that grass down. It is one of the joys of having wood chip. It's not a brilliant weed suppressant, but it certainly is better than nothing. 
Now I've also noticed on my blackberry canes somebody has been cutting some of the branches. Now I'm not sure who or why. If they were going onto my neighbours I could completely understand it. But they're not. They're coming onto my side of the plot and onto my paths. So I'm a little concerned about who's been cutting these branches off. And they have been cut. It's a very clean, neat cut. It's not snapped. It's cut. I don't know if somebody's got a new pair of secateurs and wanted to test them out. I suspect that may be the case, but it's a little annoying because we had a good load of blackberries on those canes that have been wasted now because they weren't quite ripe and by cutting them off they've died. So a little annoying, but we make the most of it, you know. Until I find out who has done it, I cannot do anything about it. Now in terms of harvests this week, we, as I said, we've had cabbages and cauliflowers, we've had tomatoes, we've had onions, we've had rhubarb, we've had courgettes and beans and a good lot of beans again. I'm really pleased with the amount of beans that we've got but one bean in particular, I haven't harvested them yet but my bellotti beans, we have done really well with bellotti beans. I've got a good lot of them. These are beans that are going to be dried before they are taken off and put into storage so the beans really are collecting. They're starting to dry out in some places and what we're going to do once they're fully dry we'll take them off, we'll take them home, dry them in the windowsill a little bit more before we'll take them out of the skins and using them in jars and stews and things throughout the winter. Really really happy with these. It's the first time I've managed to grow bellotti beans. I think they look really attractive. The nice sort of ready colours that you get on these and they taste absolutely fantastic. Well, I certainly hope they do. In the past when I've eaten bellotti beans they taste fantastic so very very excited with these. I've also noticed that my pear tree, which is next to my bellotti beans, we've got a lot of pears this year, lots and lots of pears. But I've noticed a couple of the pears have rotted while still on the branches, and I've removed those, of course. There has been wasps flying around, so it's possible the wasps have been burying a hole into the pears, and that is what's caused them to rot. Luckily, the amount that have rotted away isn't a huge amount. We've got plenty more. I'm not sure when we're going to be harvesting the pears yet, but I'm keeping a close eye because I don't think it will be long before they are ready. And as I said, that's another thing I cannot wait to try. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you have found it useful. If you have, then please do leave us a review on your podcast provider or consider becoming a supporting member. As mentioned, earlier in this podcast if you want to find out more head to the vegetablepodcast.co.uk where you can leave a comment on the bottom of a blog post of course or leave us a voicemail and don't forget my email address if you do want to get in touch is richard at vegetablepodcast.co.uk and you can also find me on social media which is well worth checking out too we will be back again next time so until then please take care